Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. But I'm going to start out by reading a verse from the New Testament this morning. I'm going to start out from, by reading 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 to lead into our second message in this series on the book of Daniel. So we're going to start out with this New Testament passage this morning. It will be projected behind me. This is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this tells us that all Scripture, all Scripture, even this 2,500-year-old book from the Old Testament is breathed out by God, and that it's profitable for these things, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness and equipping us for every good work. So we don't have to be captives in Babylon like Daniel and his friends to benefit from the book that we're looking at this morning. And uh, God is going to help us this morning, I believe, by His Spirit to apply what we are reading to our own lives, our own times, our own situations. And let's pray and ask Him to do that. Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the the truths in Your Word and for all of the benefits of even this Old Testament book. And we ask that You would use it to equip us, to teach us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness. And we pray that You would help us, Lord, just to be able to apply it to our own lives, our own situations, our own times, our own world that we live in. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this book reveals a lot of great, amazing prophecies that reveal God's complete control over our world and over our times. And uh, it also gives us a lot of great practical examples of how we can live our lives in these times when it feels like your world is just out of control. And so I've decided to entitle this passage that we're going to look at today, living in control when your world seems out of control. Living in control when your world seems out of control. And I chose that word seems very carefully because even though many times it seems like our world is out of control, it never really is. Because God is always on His throne and He's always looking down on us, caring for His people And He is always in control. No matter what happens in our nation, no matter what happens in other countries, and no matter what happens in your own lives, and your own situations, He's always in control. And so one of the emphases of this book of Daniel, it's it's a passage that's stated many times throughout in different ways, is that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives them to whomever He wills. The Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives them to whomever He wills. This is a a recurring theme in the book of Daniel. And so one of the ways that we can apply this passage that we're going to look at today in Daniel 2 is that no matter what government we have or even what situations we're in in our own personal lives, God is in control. He's in control of of history itself. History past and history future, if you can put it that way. And this book is going to show us that. So that's comforting. So today I'm going to preach through, Lord willing, 30 verses in the book of Daniel, which I think is a record for me. And uh, I don't want this to feel feel overwhelming, so what we're going to do is we're just going to break it down. We're going to look at a couple verses at a time. And uh, I'm just going to comment and try to apply these verses and explain them and help us to understand them as we go through them bit by bit. So, first we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 4. And this is kind of the intro to chapter 2. It sets the stage for us. 
And I would, I would summarize this, I would give this the headline of the king, his dream, and his counselors. Let's read this and we'll just work through it as we go. Verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Now, note that. He had dreams. That's plural. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And we're going to see throughout this book that he is the most powerful ruler in all of the world. And, and maybe in terms of absolute power that one man had, maybe the most powerful ruler ever. But he had dreams. Verse 2 says, And then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream. Now that's singular. And that caught, I caught that as I studied for this. And now why does he say I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream when it says he had dreams? And I'm thinking that this is just one of those things when, like maybe when you were young. I, this happened to me when I was young. I had this same dream over and over and over again. Did you ever have that happen? I won't tell you mine. It was weird. It was, I was a little Eskimo for some reason in my dream. But I had this dream all the time. And um, I'm thinking that's probably what's going on. And this dream is pretty frightening for the king. He couldn't even sleep. And he wanted to know, he wanted to know what his dream was all about. He wanted them to interpret the dream. And he asks the, we see in verse 2, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to be summoned. Now, don't get thrown off when you read the names of these, these people, these groups. Um, at least I, I automatically think of like charlatans and circus performers and phonies with 1-900 numbers that you can call and get your future. Um, because that's kind of what it sounds like, enchanters, sorcerers. But real, and some of them were, which we're going to see. Some of them were, were phonies. But overall, these groups represented the, the academic people of the day. They were the highly respected people in Babylon. These, these were, a, were similar to um, the magi or the wise men that came to bring the baby Jesus gifts. They, were, they knew uh, they could read the stars and they could... I mean, maybe in the terms of like astrology, they represented it that way as well. But astronomy, where they, they, would, they knew times and seasons and they knew things that were pretty amazing. I think they even knew back then the distance from the, the earth to the, to the sun and they somehow figured that out. But uh, archaeologists have also found um, remnants of scrolls that were entitled uh, the Chaldean Book of Dreams or the Chaldean Scrolls scrolls of dreams and what these people did was, was they studied uh, dreams for hundreds of years that people had and then they would look at these people's lives that had the dreams and they would try to make correlations between things in the dreams and what happened to the person later in their lives so that they could kind of put a pattern on what dreams meant and in interpreting dreams and so they, they took an academic approach to it but Sometimes they, they really just tried to fool the king. And I think he was catching on, which we're going to see. Verse 4 says, Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. So this is a reasonable request, right? This is, this is what happened in, uh, in Joseph's life whenever the Pharaoh wanted him to interpret the dream. Remember with the skinny cows and the fat cows and the skinny cows ate the fat cows. Uh, he told Joseph the dream and Joseph interpreted it. So this is a pretty reasonable request. Tell us the dream. We'll look in our book of Chaldean dreams and we'll tell you what it means. Well, not a deal with Nebuchadnezzar. He, he didn't like that idea. You can see in verses 5 and 6 Nebuchadnezzar's response. He says, it says in verse 5, The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, 
You shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Whew. The king's a little, little unstable, a little demanding. So he's, he's saying, you need to not just tell me what it means, but you need to tell me what dream I had. Tell me, tell me what I dreamed. You don't do this, I'm going to rip your arms and legs off and knock down your houses. Verse 6, but if, if you show the dream and its interpretation... You shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So a little positive reinforcement here for balance as well. And it's either die or become rich and famous. So they have some motivation. Now, if, if your kids ever ask you, ask you what a tyrant is or what tyranny is, this is a, probably a good example, a good place to go to show what a tyrant is. Nebuchadnezzar seems a little bit unstable here, and I would think that when he was a little boy, I can, I can picture him at eight years old, Nebuchadnezzar wants cocoa puffs for breakfast, he gets cocoa puffs for breakfast. He, uh, he wants chicken nuggets and french fries every day for lunch, no matter what anyone else is having, he gets them. And if he doesn't get them, look out. But aren't you thankful that, that we live in a time in this world in this world's history and in a, in a country where a, a dictator can't just tear our arms and legs off if we don't tell him his dream and we need to remember uh, to be thankful thankful to all of the service members who've fought for our freedom and died for our freedom and uh, thankful to those who are serving in the military now but ultimately we need to be thankful to God because as this book reminds us he is the one who appoints the times and seasons, appoints rulers and removes rulers, as we're going to see. And so we need to ultimately be thankful to God that we don't have a Nebuchadnezzar in charge of us. So verses 5 and 6 describe the king's ultimatum. Tell me what I dreamed and I'll and interpret it. But verses 7 and 9, in verses 7 and 9, the truth comes out. And these groups of people say, King, we, we can't do this. Look at 7 through 9. They answer a second time and say, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. What he's saying here is, you're, you're trying to buy time. You're trying to figure out a way to make up a lie that you can tell me what this dream is and what it, what it means. And you just want the time to pass. You want the time to change. You want my mind to change. But he says, therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can tell me its interpretation. He's standing firm here. They're trying to gain time, but he's no fool. He's, he's saying, you need to tell me what I dreamed because then I'm going to know that you're not just making something up whenever you tell me the interpretation. I want to know. This is really bugging the king. So he really wants to know what's going on with this dream. And uh, can they just tap into their magic and look into their crystal ball and tell him what the dream was? I mean, that seems like the kind of show that they had going. That seems like what they wanted people to think about them. But the truth comes out in verses 10 through 13 because their backs are against the wall and the truth really comes out. They come clean. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, King, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So they come clean. The truth comes out here. And really, other than them using the plural, the gods, they're, they're right. No man can tell you what you dreamed, but God can. God can tell you, but we can't, he, they're saying. So their backs are against the wall, and look at how King Nebuchadnezzar responded to them. It's probably the same way he responded when he didn't get chicken nuggets and french fries for dinner. 
Verse 12, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men, all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and all the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them, to kill them as well, this means. So what's going on here is Daniel and his companions, his three friends, are lumped in to this same group of Chaldeans and magicians and sorcerers and wise men and enchanters. They're, they're being lumped in, and the king says, kill them all, just wipe them all out. Well, the reason they're being lumped in is because, you, you remember back in Joe's message last week, they were brought in to Babylon to be apprentices or trainees under the wise men of that day. So they were going to be educated for three years in all of these different fields that, the, the, that these people were educated in. And so they're, they're, they're apprentices. And uh, the king's not discriminating. He's just saying, wipe them all out. Kill them all because they can't tell me what I dreamed. Now, put yourself in Daniel's shoes here. How would you respond? You were, you were taken from your family. You were taken from your country. Your country, your nation was wiped out, was was just taken over by an evil tyrant. Like, what if that happened to us? And, and you were taken from everything you've ever known as a, as a 15 to 18-year-old teenage boy, and you were placed in some foreign land with an evil tyrant, an unreasonable dictator, and he, is, he has now sentenced you that your legs and arms are going to be torn off. And, and you, you know that he means business. How would you respond? What would you do? Would you run? You might want to fight. You might just kind of freak out and lay down in the fetal position. You might pray. What would you do? Well, one of the great things about Daniel, and this is where, this is a practical application, I think, of this book that God intends us to learn from, is that Daniel never let his emotions, he never let his emotions drive him into that fight-or-flight response that, that is so common when we're up against the wall or when something really hard happens in our lives. Emotions often can take the place of wisdom. They get in the way. When we let our emotions into the driver's seat and, and we let them drive us and determine how we respond to tough circumstances. Many times, they get in the way of wisdom and prudence and discretion, but Daniel didn't let that happen. I know that sometimes, you know, with hard things that we go through in our lives, we can, we can want to say, if somebody's saying, you know, you got to you gotta trust God, you got to look at the Scriptures and respond with wisdom, we can, we can want to say, but you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't, you don't understand. And that's true a lot of times. We might not understand. But look at what Daniel was going through. I mean, if anybody could say, you don't understand what I'm going through, I think it was Daniel. He was taken away from everything he ever knew. He was about to be killed in a very gruesome and painful way. He could have said that, but he didn't. And really the concern isn't so much the issue of what we're going through. I think the main concern is how we respond to the issue that we're going through. And so we look at, we look at Daniel's response beginning in verse 14. It says, Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the, king of, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. So here's Arioch going out to kill all these people. Now Arioch was the captain of the king's guard as we read, but he was, he was the, um, the, the, the executioner for the king. Anytime the king wanted someone killed, he called Arioch. Arioch was a bad dude. He, his name means lion-like. He was a warrior. He was probably a, a strong guy, 
And he's coming out to kill Daniel right now and all the other wise men. And Daniel, he replies with prudence and discretion. So he takes time. It doesn't say that he prayed, but I'm sure he took time to, to pray and ask God for wisdom. And he responded in that wisdom. Here's Daniel as cool as a cucumber when most of us would probably fly off the handle with something like this. I mean, we, we get a dent in our car door, somebody disrespects us, and, uh, and we can fly off the handle and let our emotions take over. But Daniel's an example to us in, in that what he's facing didn't invoke the emotional response. He responded with prudence and discretion. Verse 15, he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? You know, and I'm sure he said it like, more like that. He's, he didn't like, why? Why, did, why is this? He, he probably just said, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And you see that he won favor with Arioch. Arioch respected Daniel because of this, because of his attitude. It says, then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. So he wasn't going to just slaughter Daniel on the spot, don't ask me questions. He, was, he, he responded to him. And Daniel went in, verse 16, and requested to the king to appoint a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So whatever happened and went down that we can't see, it must have won favor. It must have it bought Daniel some time. This, this prudent and discerning response bought him some time with the king because... This is, where we see, this is where we see God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, I think, paired up. God, God tells us to respond with prudence and discretion in times like this. Daniel did it. He didn't just lay down and pray, God worked this out. He actually took some action. He approached the king, which really would have taken some guts because people were killed for approaching the king back then, and, and Daniel just did it. He walked up and approached him. But what he did, the reason he could do that and take those steps up to the king was really because he was taking steps of faith. He was believing that God was going to intervene. And God did just that because we see that he was given more time. Now, I want to point one thing out technically with verse 16. that is a, It's a translational issue, but I think it's really important. Uh, for some reason, the ESVs decided to translate this in Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation. Uh, all of the other conventional translations say something different. And you can say both things in Hebrew, but I think they get it right, and ESV gets it wrong here. And I'll just read to you what they have. And Daniel went in and requested the king to grant him more time that he might show the interpretation. To grant him more time. And the reason that's important to point out is because you'll remember that the Chaldeans wanted more time. And you remember what the king said when they asked, can we have a little more time? He said, no, I know you're just trying to buy time so you can lie to me. But see, Daniel had God on his side. And when Daniel says, can you grant me more time that I might interpret this dream, the king responded and gave him more time. So trusting God doesn't mean just laying and praying and not doing anything. Sometimes it does. Sometimes things are so far beyond our control that all we can do is pray. And God often comes in and intervenes. But sometimes, and this is where wisdom has to come in, sometimes God wants us to take steps and do things. Now here's the key to that though. Those steps must always be within the bounds of Scripture. So if you're praying for something and you're, you're wanting to take action to make it happen, you must do that within the bounds of Scripture. If you take steps that exceed the bounds of Scripture, you're, you're going outside of God's will and you're trying to make things happen on your own apart from God's intervention. So there's this formula given to us here in the book of Daniel, but it's all throughout Scripture. It tells us that God is 
God will act and intervene when we pray, and we need to act, but we need to act within the bounds of what He tells us to do or not do in Scripture. For example, the Scriptures, the scriptures tell us in Romans, should we do evil that good may come? And, and He says, absolutely not. That's the implication of that. No. So sometimes you might think, well, I could, I could maybe, you know, I'm praying for this, and if I just tell this little lie, or if I just, you know, whatever, something outside of scriptural bounds, I could make that happen because I really think that's God's will. If I just represent myself differently, if I just, you know, whatever it is, that's not the way that we need to, to act and put feet in our prayers. So Daniel does this masterfully here. He's He's using wisdom, he's using discretion, he's approaching the king, and he's doing it all within the bounds of what God would allow. And we see in the following verse, uh, verse 16, or verse 17, that he was granted favor by the king and what he did. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. So what he did, these are his friends that, that Joe explained last week were brought in with him and they were chosen. They were the, the wisest, the best in appearance, uh, the, the best Jewish teenage boys there. And uh, God is now having, directing Daniel to go there, giving him time to go there and explain the matter to them. Now, these guys, again, their back is still against the wall. They're facing death. And think about how, I, I was thinking when I was reading this, how would Hollywood portray the next scene? Like if, if, if the screenwriters were writing this and, and God wasn't inspiring it. And I personally wouldn't mind seeing a movie like that, like where Daniel kind of resorts to Jason Bourne-like tactics and goes in and gives Arioch a neck crank and kind of ninja-like sneaks up into the palace and, and takes Nebuchadnezzar out or holds him hostage until Israel is restored or something like that. I think that would be pretty cool. But that's not always God's way. Um, God didn't have Daniel do that. He convenes with his friends. And we see in verse 17 and 18 what happens. He doesn't call for more reinforcements to take over Babylon. But he does call for reinforcements for prayer. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Isn't it interesting that prayer, if you think about what is prayer, prayer is the opposite, really, of taking matters into our own hands, isn't it? It's, it's taking whatever the circumstance is that's weighing on us and, and putting it in God's hands. I think of 1 Peter 5, 7, which tells us to cast all of our care on Him. Why? Because He cares for us. That's, that's one of the great benefits of prayer. It's taking our cares, especially when we're in a situation like Daniel and his friends, when your back's against the wall and you have nowhere to go, and you can't do anything. We give that over to God. And He wants us to do that. And I think that, you know, I know that with this many people here, there are so many different circumstances going on in your lives right now where you just feel like, I can't, I, my back's against the wall. I'm trapped. I'm between a rock and a hard place. I can't do anything. It might be a health issue. It might be an issue with your children. It might be that you were falsely accused. It might be that you were sinned against in some big way. It might be that you're facing a job loss or that you're, you're having financial troubles. There could be so many different things. But God wants us to give those to Him, cast our cares on Him. Why? Because He cares for us. He cares for each of you. He cares for us, and that's why he tells us to do this. And so Daniel did this, and Daniel called his friends in to this and, and asked them pray, pray about this. And that's one of the things that I think God wants us to get from this as well is 
is we should ask others to pray for us. And I know some situations, you know, you don't, you don't want to stand up here and ask the whole church to pray. But maybe you can confide in some close friends and ask them to pray. And God will honor that. God will honor that supplication and prayer. And uh, he honored Daniel's. I, uh, I was reminded of a quote from a Chinese pastor that I really like to read. He, was, he died a long time ago, but um, Watchman Nee is his name. And he said this about prayer. He said, our prayers lay the track down which God, for which God's power can come. Like a mighty locomotive, his power is irresistible. But you need to lay down the rails of prayer for it to get here. And I think that's really good because many times... God waits until we pray to give us these blessings and to come into our lives and to make His presence known. So there are times when He doesn't wait. He just does it. But many times He waits. And that's what happened here where Daniel and his three friends prayed and we see God responding in verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So what happened here, God came in the night, probably that same night, revealed the dream, both the dream and its interpretation to Daniel. And look at how Daniel responded. He responded by blessing. It says, Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now that's confused me for years. Like, I, I, I don't know, I think it's because we always think about God blessing us, right? And, and I think, well, how, what does it mean to bless God? How do you bless God? God's the one that gives us blessings. So what does this mean? Because it is used many times in the Old Testament and throughout Scripture, this phrase, blessing God. What does it mean to bless God? Well, it means simply to glorify Him and give Him the honor that He is worthy of and the praise that He's worthy of. And we see in this situation, he just answered their prayer, and so they bless him by giving him great honor. And we're going to see that prayer of blessing God in just a moment. But remember this, God wants us to bless him. This can take many different forms. It can be praying, it can be singing. This is what we do before, we, uh, before I preach this message, this is what we did. We, we gathered and we sang praises, glorifying God singing about all the wonderful things he's done for us, especially the most wonderful thing, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, that we don't have to pay that eternal penalty in hell. I mean, we praise him and we should praise him for that. So that's blessing God. It's giving him glory, giving him the honor that he deserves, the praise that he deserves. Don't forget to bless the Lord. Don't forget to bless Him when He answers your prayers. Don't forget to bless Him just for the great and wonderful things He's done for us. Don't forget to bless Him because He has an inheritance reserved for us that won't fade away in heaven. There's a day coming when we're all going to be together and it's just going to be perfect. There's going to be no evil. Don't forget to bless Him for that. In, uh, in my fellowship group, one of the reasons I love my fellowship group is we spend a lot of time in prayer. And uh, many times it's not just asking God for requests, which that's definitely something we just talked about, casting our cares on Him. But many times our, our focus is praising Him, is blessing the Lord. And uh, I want to encourage you all as you gather in groups and as you, as you gather with your families and parents, as you're praying with your kids... Bless the Lord. Make this a habit. Because this, it's amazing how blessing the Lord actually blesses us. It, it changes our perspective. It changes our attitudes. It, it, it makes, Philippians 4, we don't have time to look at it right now, but Philippians 4 says that when we make prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, which is kind of synonymous with blessing the Lord, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so the result of blessing the Lord is peace. I think that to the degree we bless the Lord, to the degree you bless the Lord, to that degree you have peace. 
And to the degree you don't bless the Lord, to that degree you don't have peace. I, I think there's a direct correlation and I think we can prove that scripturally. The Lord says He keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Him. And as we continue to focus on Him and the blessings He's given us, we have more peace. No matter how crazy our world gets and our circumstances get. So, we need to remember that blessing the Lord is a big part of, of our having peace and what God calls us to. Look at verse 20 at Daniel's prayer. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Now, I'm going to pause there because there is so much that we can learn from Daniel's prayer. So much truth. Remember how we started this message off. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for correction, for teaching, for training in righteousness, for equipping us for every good work. And if we just apply that to this phrase right here in verse 21, he changes times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings, we realize that that has massive implications for our lives in Indiana, PA in 2016, in the United States in 2016. God is sovereign, this means, God is sovereign over the world powers, now listen to this, whether they be good or evil. God is sovereign over the world powers, whether they be good or evil. God has a master plan for this world, and one of the, one of the um, reasons for this book of Daniel is to show us what's going to happen. Not only what has happened, but what's going to happen in the future. Because God has it all laid out. In his mind, it's all laid out. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't vote, for example. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't join the military if God calls you to do that and fight for our freedom. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't attempt to eliminate terrorism all over the world. It doesn't mean we should just lay down. This isn't a fatalistic kind of teaching where God's going to do whatever God's going to do and we shouldn't do anything. Again, in this book of Daniel, we see man's responsibility meeting God's sovereignty, but God's sovereignty always trumps that no matter what happens. And God many times in the Scriptures uses people's just mistakes and mess-ups and sins to accomplish a greater will that He has. And we see the biggest example, uh, it's mentioned in the book of Acts, but that this, this is a case like this. But the, the, the simplest example is what was the most unjust thing that ever happened in the history of this world. Jesus Christ crucified the most innocent, sinless man who ever lived, was crucified as a criminal. That was the most unjust thing, the most wicked thing. But by the hands of these wicked men, God caused His sovereign will to be accomplished and then turned the tables on whatever evil motivations they had, and said, hey, I'm going to bless everybody because I'm going to take Jesus Christ and He's going to die for all their sins. And I'm going to save the world through this, whoever would believe in Him. The greatest blessing ever came out of that. And that's what God does. That's, that's actually, I, I think that's actually a good summary of the Bible. It's, it's human mistakes, humans blowing it, and God stepping in and using that somehow for good. And so... Whoever wins, you know, the next election, or whoever's in power in whatever country in the world, God's not going to sit up there and put His hands on His head and say, why? Why did I let this happen? He's not doing that. He's got it all planned out. And we should fight for righteousness, and we should try to make the right thing happen, but if it doesn't, we don't have to blow a gasket. It's, it's fine. God's got it under control. God's got it under control. Look at verse 21. Again, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise 
For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. So, God made known the dream. Daniel here is blessing the Lord in this prayer, giving him honor, giving him praise. See, what Daniel's doing here is he's giving God the credit. He's saying, God, you gave me wisdom. You have done what we've asked, and you have made known to us the king's matter. This is so important. Oftentimes, we want to take credit for things that God does. But God is the one who gives all the blessings that we have. I mean, I've caught myself doing this many times. You know, if I, if I have a cold or something, uh, you know, or I'm sick or I have the flu, and I pray, Lord, would you help, help me to get better? And then I get better, and I forget that I prayed that, and I'm like, oh, I, I got better. It must have just passed. It must have been a short duration on this one, or that medicine must have really helped and worked. And, and sometimes God uses means in this world to help us but we've got to remember that the bible says that every good gift comes down from the father of lights every good gift that we have is from god every good gift and daniel's remembering that here and he's giving the credit to god he's glorifying god but daniel actually takes this a step farther that we're going to see and he he testifies of this before a human being he testifies before men what God did. So it's great to give God credit, but I think God wants us to give Him the glory before others as well. He's pleased when we do this. Verse 24, Daniel denies credit and gives the glory to God. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king his, the interpretation. I think this is funny how Arioch is doing the opposite of what Daniel's doing. Daniel is giving all the credit to God. But Arioch is taking the credit here for finding this man who can interpret the dream. I have found him. He's given himself the credit. Arioch to the rescue. I saved the day, king. And, and this is a huge contrast with Daniel. Verse 26. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days. There's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he, he has made known to the king. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all of the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. See, what Daniel's, Daniel's doing a little T-bowing here. You know what T-bowing is? He's doing the Tim Tebow. You know what Tim Tebow does? You know, he's a football, he was a football player, and he'd make a big play, and he'd go down after that play, and he would, he would pray. And he would give... He said the reason he did that was he wanted to bless God for that great gift of making that big play, and he wanted to make a testimony before men that God was the one who gave him the ability to do that. And he's right. The Bible says, what do you have that you haven't received? And why do you boast as if you've received it? God gave it to you. Whatever it is that you have that's good. And uh, Tim Tebow, he's a Christian football player like we said, he, he would do that to give God the credit. And he took a lot of heat for that, but really that's kind of what Daniel's doing here. He's saying, no king, I didn't interpret your dream." I didn't do that. God did it. No man can do that. But God revealed it to me. 
And Daniel is giving God the credit here. Ephesians 2.10 is one of my favorite verses. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And here's what that means. God has prepared opportunities for us. Opportunities. I look at them, I picture them as stepping stones in our paths every day. He's prepared them. He's laid them out. He has given us the opportunity to do these good things that He's laid out for us. And as long as we are tuned into Him and we are humble before Him and we take the opportunities to walk in those stepping stones and follow His lead, we're going to be able to do those things. And Daniel did just that, but he gave, he, he blessed the Lord. He deflected the glory back to the Lord. So you don't have to do the Tebow every time you, uh, you, you make a, a good work for God, but you should reflect the glory back to Him. Sometimes this is hard to do. Sometimes it's just awkward. But I think God wants us to do that. So in verses 1 through 30, uh, we've seen a lot of things that are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and, and really for equipping us to live in control in an out-of-control world. But I want to end here by just giving four uh, takeaways, four takeaways from Daniel 2 for responding to high-stress situations. So if you're feeling the pressure, you're feeling the heat, here are, we're just, these are just recaps. These are things we've already covered in these 30 verses, and we're going to review them. Four takeaways for responding to high-stress situations. One, this seems so cliche, like you hear this all the time, but I can't not put it, because it's so true. Trust God. Trust God. I mean, sometimes, you know, we say, don't, don't say that to me. I, I, I know that, you know. But no, we, we forget it a lot of times, and we, we kind of blow it off because it's such a cliche. But really, this is the starting place for responding to stressful situations. And if we look at it through the lens of Daniel chapter 2, we see that Daniel was exemplary in this. He did trust God. And remember that trusting God sometimes means stepping out in faith. As long as we're walking within the bounds of Scripture, sometimes trusting God is taking action to do something. It's not just always, I'm going to go back in this room and trust God and I'm going to hide there until He works it out. Sometimes it is. But sometimes it's taking action to make something happen, but not to get ahead of God by stepping outside the bounds of Scripture. So think about the situation. Let's apply this. Think about the situation in your life right now that you are stressed out over. It might be finances. It might be the country's future. It might be a, a, a relationship that you've been struggling in for a long time. Whatever it is, whatever it is, trusting God means remembering and realizing that He is in control. He is on His throne and He is for you. The enemy will lie to you and tell you He is not for you, but He is for you. There is an opportunity or many opportunities in your situation to take steps on those stepping stones, Ephesians 2.10 stepping stones, take steps of faith. So trusting God. Number two, praying and asking for prayer. Another fundamental, very basic thing, but so important. Pray and ask God for prayer. And we saw that Daniel did this. This was putting his care into God's hands. And you know, I wonder what would have happened if Daniel hadn't prayed with his three friends. Would we even have this book in Scripture? I don't know. I don't think so. Because those tracks may not have been laid for God's blessing, that powerful locomotive freight train to come in and change the king's heart. Prayer is very powerful. Let's not underestimate it. Number three, bless the Lord. And again, to bless God means to glorify Him by giving Him the honor and the credit and the praise that He's due. And I believe with all my heart, like I said, if we could measure the amount of blessing God we do with our mouth and in our heart, 
we could also measure the amount of peace in our heart, and they would correlate evenly, I believe. And number four, finally, transfer the glory to God. Transfer the glory to God. Daniel was used by God to interpret the dream, but he deflected all that glory back to God in a pretty extreme way in his response to King Nebuchadnezzar. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, I mentioned it before. I want to read it here. It says, For who makes you different from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? We receive every good gift from God. Are you, maybe you're talented in a certain way. Why are you talented in that way? Well, God gave you that gift. Why you know, I think about uh, my little girl Annie. She has beautiful red hair, and people will say, She's, you have such beautiful red hair. And, and I, I think, well, God gave that to her. I mean, thank you for saying it's beautiful, but, and it is, but God did that. And, and I want to train her to respond in a way where it's not like, oh, I grew this myself, you know. God gives you every good gift, every talent, every ability you have, just the very freedom that you have to breathe right now. He gives us our breath. He gives that to us. And so we need to remember to transfer the glory back to God. Daniel had a high view of God, and that's why he did that. So trust God, pray, bless God, and transfer all the glory back to Him. And also remember that when we fail to do this, because we will, we have a Savior who died for our failures and our sins. And we don't need to get all hung up in condemnation and guilt and think, I'm, such, I'm so bad at this. I'm such a failure at this. He died for you. He died for you. He died for me. He died for us. He understands our weaknesses and he sympathizes with us. And because of that, we don't need to get stuck in condemnation. We can just move on and say, thank you, Lord, for what you did. And we can live in the light of that grace and mercy that he's given us. So next week we're going to take a look at the actual dream. We didn't get to it today, but it's pretty interesting. And uh, the things that it means and points to applies to us in 2016. So be ready for that next week. Let's pray and end and we'll have the band come up and do one final song. Father, thank you for this message and for this scripture. And uh, we thank you that, that your word is profitable for all of these different things, correction and reproof and equipping us. And I pray that we would all be equipped more as a result of Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 30 than we were before we came in this morning. I pray that your Spirit would impress upon us truths and applications that we could use in our lives as we go to work tomorrow, as we interact with people this week, and as we face upcoming elections in November. I pray that your Word would just help us to know how and guide us in living in control in a world that seems out of control. And we thank you for all the help that you are eager to give us as we cast our cares on you. In Jesus' name, amen.